Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Monday, September 11th, 2023. First, I just want to thank everybody for all the congratulations and the kind words about our new baby boy, uh, Tim DeCamp, who just came home. Uh, He's happy and healthy. His mom's doing good. I just heard from so many people, and I really appreciate it. It It was really great. So thanks for that, and also thank you for helping us finish our fundraiser at Antiwar.com. We have reached our goal, so that's done with, and that's how we get by. That's how we bring you all this content. Um, so again, thanks so much for the support, both for the baby and you know to help keep this website going and help keep me uh, employed. Um, all right, so the first thing that I want to go over, I want to go over a few stories that I missed while I was out. So the first thing here, Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Ukraine last week, and this was on September 6th. While he was there, he announced more than $1 billion dollars in new types of aid for Ukraine. And this article is from Kyle Anzalone, who did a lot of writing while I was out. So Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced Washington would send over $1 billion in additional aid to Ukraine. And these funds include $275 million for the military, $300 million for the police, and over $200 million in humanitarian assistance. The arms package includes depleted uranium ammunition, which is known to have grave health and environmental consequences. So the depleted uranium is on the way, and that is to be used with the American M1 Abrams tanks. So it looks like they're going to be arriving pretty soon. Um, And Blinken explained, so this $275 million military aid that's broken up into two packages, and one of them is $175 million worth of weapons using the Presidential Drawdown Authority, and that's how they arm Ukraine by shipping weapons directly from military stockpiles. That means these weapons are on the way, and that includes the depleted uranium. And again, that DU is the abbreviation for it. It is a toxic ammunition. It is slightly radioactive. It's a byproduct of creating highly enriched uranium, and it is linked to cancer and birth defects in places it is used. And the big example is Iraq, where the U.S. used a ton of it during the Gulf War and after the 2003 invasion. Um, And this package will also include ammunition for the HIMARS, 155mm and 105mm artillery rounds, mortar systems, tow anti-tank missiles, and lots of small arms and other types of anti-armor. So lots of weapons are on the way again. And the Pentagon says that so far they have pledged over $43 billion in military equipment for Ukraine since Russia invaded last year. So Blinken had some things to say when he announced this aid. He said, quote, never go to someone's home without bringing a housewarming gift. We come bearing some further assistance for Ukraine across multiple areas, but that assistance doesn't actually mean anything unless it's used effectively, end quote. So while he was in Kiev, Blinken engaged in several photo ops, including there's a picture of him holding a puppy in a children's hospital. During a press conference with his Ukrainian counterpart, which is Dmitry Kuleba, 
Blinken said that he had visited a war cemetery earlier in the day and remarked he had an emotional response to seeing the faces of so many dead young Ukrainians. And, you know, Blinken has a lot of responsibility for all those dead young Ukrainians because he's been part of this administration that has done nothing but fuel the war and discourage diplomacy and push for this counteroffensive, even though we know that the U.S. never thought Ukraine could really regain much territory. They just want to keep this war going, and the Ukrainian lives just don't matter. So anything that Blinken says about that is a complete... Uh, lie. You know, there's no reason to believe that he really feels anything about dead Ukrainians. Um, So that was on September 6th on Wednesday. And then the following day on Thursday, September 7th, the Pentagon announced more aid for Ukraine. So a $600 million arms package. So that's $1.6 billion in just two days. And this was is using what they call the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, which is different from the presidential drawdown. Under this program, the U.S. purchases weapons for Ukraine and then sends them over there. So weapons using the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, they could take months or even potentially years to actually be delivered. And they said that the capabilities in this package include equipment to sustain and integrate Ukraine's air defense systems, additional HIMARS rocket systems, additional ammunition for the HIMARS, 105mm artillery rounds, electronic warfare and counter-electronic warfare equipment, demolition munitions for obstacle clearing, mine clearing equipment, and support and equipment for training, maintenance, and sustainment activities. And all this aid, you know, this $1.6 billion that they have, that they're spending on this, that's still part of the initial $113 billion that has already been authorized by Congress. The White House is still waiting for Congress to approve the next $24 billion uh, in spending. Um, all right, so now we're going to get into today's page, Monday's page. And the first story at the top of antiwar.com, Ukraine says that Elon Musk prevented a Ukrainian attack on Russia. So this is another article from Kyle Anzalone. CNN reports that Elon Musk personally instructed SpaceX employees to disable Starlink to prevent a Ukrainian attack on the Russian naval fleet in Crimea last year. SpaceX has spent millions of dollars of the company's own money to help Kiev's military stay connected on the battlefield since the Russian invasion last year. However, the company draws a red line in participating in attacks with its technology. So CNN got the story from an advanced copy of Walter Isaacson's forthcoming biography of Elon Musk. In Isaacson's interpretation of the incident, Kiev made an emergency request to SpaceX for Starlink to expand the reach of communications to Sevastopol on the Crimean Peninsula. The clear implication was that Ukraine intended to launch an attack on the Russian naval fleet. Isaacson says after Starlink denied Kiev's request, an explosive submarine lost connectivity and washed ashore harmlessly. Uh, He notes that Musk was contacted by top officials in Washington after the incident, but CNN did not report the nature of those discussions. So on Thursday, Musk gave his account of the potential Ukrainian attack. He said, quote, there was an emergency request from government authorities to activate Starlink all the way to Sevastopol. The obvious intent 
being to sink most of the Russian fleet at anchor. If I had agreed to their request, then SpaceX would be explicitly complicit in a major act of war and conflict escalation, end quote. So he didn't disable SpaceX in this area. He, he declined to turn it on. Um, sorry, Starlink. He didn't disable Starlink. He declined to get, uh, you know, turn it on for that area. So according to SpaceX's terms of service, the decision not to authorize Ukraine's emergency request is company policy and U.S. law. So Musk has faced intense scrutiny for the event. The Ukrainians, even though, you know, so when the war first started, you know, Elon Musk turned on Starlink in Ukraine and he sent them a bunch of the um, Starlink, uh, what do you call the receptors that they need to use them. And despite that support, Ukrainian officials have been very critical of him, you know, for not wanting to enable attacks on Russia. So this is Mikhailo Poroyak. He is an advisor to Zelensky, and he really went after Musk on Twitter, or X as it is known now. So Poroyak said, quote, Sometimes a mistake is much more than just a mistake. By not allowing Ukrainian drones to destroy part of the Russian military fleet via Starlink interference, Musk allowed this fleet to fire Calibra missiles at Ukrainian cities. As a result, civilians, children are being killed. This is the price of a cocktail of ignorance and big ego. However, the question still remains, why do some people so desperately want to defend war criminals and their desire to commit murder? And and do they now realize that they are committing evil and encouraging evil? End quote. So, I mean, that's the Ukrainian attitude is that if you're not enabling their, if you're not helping them, then of course, you know, you're helping Russia. So uh, the ire for Musk was compounded by journalists suggesting SpaceX had prevented the Ukrainian attack by turning off or deactivating Starlink. Um, so again, it's it's that he did not um, approve, you know, giving them access in this area. But and Musk also told this guy, this biographer, that Starlink was meant not meant to be involved in wars. But at the same time, he did turn it on for the Ukrainians and their military has been using it throughout this war. And I know they were using it for drone attacks. And um, somebody at SpaceX, one of the top you know officers there, said that they uh, did something so that Ukraine could not use Starlink anymore for the for the drone attacks. Not sure exactly what they did, but. Um, it still is very much helping the Ukrainian war effort. All right, so the next one here. Russia targets Kiev. Ukraine targets Crimea with drone barrages. So the Russian defense ministry said that its air defenses downed a series of Ukrainian drones targeting the Crimean Peninsula on Sunday. And the same day, Ukraine reported intercepting dozens of Russian drones in the skies above Kiev. So Ukraine uh, said they were targeted with over three dozen Russian drones on Sunday morning and that the attack lasted two hours and caused debris to fall on the city. Um, So meanwhile, the Russian defense ministry reported eliminating eight Ukrainian drones targeting Crimea, and they also targeted other uh, Russian-controlled areas of Ukraine, areas that they have annexed. And this attack occurred while Russia was holding local elections in these annexed regions. Moscow described the drone strikes as an attempt to sabotage the election. 
Russian officials say that one drone destroyed a polling center in Zaporozhia, and the strike on the building occurred before the center opened and no one was in voting. So no one was in there at the time. Um, So more Ukrainian drone attacks and Russia continues its bombardment of Ukrainian cities. So the next one here, NATO war games simulate attack on Russia. So this is another one from Kyle. Uh, NATO has launched major war games taking place off the coasts of Latvia and Estonia. So these are in the Baltic Sea. And a Western official said that the drills are intended to be a clear message to Russia. So the war games dubbed Northern Coasts began on Saturday and will run for two weeks. Germany is leading the drills and 13 other nations will participate, including the U.S. and non-NATO member Sweden soon to be NATO member Sweden, <laughs> um, over 3,000 troops and 30 warships are involved in the exercises. So German Navy Chief Vice Admiral Jan Christian Koch uh, told Reuters that the war games are a show of force to Russia. He said, quote, we are sending a clear message of vigilance to Russia, not on our watch. Credible deterrence must include the ability to attack, end quote. And an acting NATO spokesperson said that they, again, are sending a clear message to Russia. Um, So according to a NATO press release, the war games are designed to simulate amphibious operations, air defense, strikes from sea to land, and securing sea lanes. So they have held this drill since 2007. Um, All right. So the next one here, the G20 weakens condemnation of Russia after the India summit. So there's a big G20 summit in India, and Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi announced that the members of the group of 20 had agreed to remove some of the language from its joint statement that condemns the Russian war in Ukraine. So according to Nikkei Asia, regarding the war in Ukraine, the New Delhi communique says, quote, Concerning the war in Ukraine, while recalling the 2022 discussion in Bali, we reiterated our national positions and resolutions adopted at the UN Security Council and UN General Assembly. There were different views and assessments of the situation, end quote. So it's interesting uh, because the Bali-Indonesia G20 summit that took place in 2022 had some language directly condemning Russia uh, for the invasion of Ukraine, it said that most members strongly condemn the war in Ukraine, and it deplored in the strongest terms the aggression by the Russian Federation against Ukraine. So that was removed from the New Delhi uh, G20 summit communique. And Modi was happy with it. Uh, he touted Indian-led diplomacy for achieving consensus among the G20 members on the statement. He said, quote, friends, we just received good news. Owing to the hard work of our teams and with the cooperation of you all, consensus has been reached on a G20 New Delhi Leaders Summit declaration, end quote. So he's happy about it. But of course, the Biden administration, I'm sure, is not happy about it because they've been looking to isolate Russia on the world stage. Uh, But Western sanctions and attempts to exile Moscow from global institutions have only increased Russia's standing in the world, in, in some sense, at least. And the U.S. has sought to condemn Russia pretty much wherever possible. So uh, 
you know, this is definitely a loss for the U.S., but the G20 is, uh, you know, includes a lot of countries that are not going along with the sanctions on Russia. So I remember after that Bali summit, I was surprised that it included that strong language because Russia is included in the G20. Um, all right. So I want to take this moment to mention our sponsor for today's show, and that is the Expat Money Summit. So if you go to expatmoneysummit.com, Put in your email to get a free ticket to the event, which will be held from October 2nd to October 6th. And what this is about, this is hosted by Mikkel Thorup, who is the head of Expat Money. And his work focuses on helping people who are looking to move to another country or are looking to maybe uh, find a fallback plan, kind of a plan B place to live. And it's something, you know, much more attainable to people than, than you might imagine. And, you know, it's really interesting what Mikkel does. If you go to the website Expat Money, if you follow any of their social media, they have tons of articles about different countries, you know, what it's like in, say, Panama, how to get citizenship, what it's like to live there. And I think it's a really great resource. And so that's what this summit is about, is that type of information. And they have some pretty big name speakers, including Peter Schiff, Mark Faber, Dr. Ron Paul. Doug Casey, and many others. And the information that you're going to learn at this summit is residencies and citizenship, wealth protection and tax planning, investing and diversification, the expat lifestyle, community and network, and much, much more. So again, it's totally free. So why not check it out? Go to expatmoneysummit.com. Put in your email to reserve your free ticket and just check out everything that, uh, Mikkel does in general. Again, it's very interesting, and he is a listener of the show. I did his podcast recently, so check all that out. Um, all right, so to get back into the news here, let's see, where were we? Um, West will not adjust Russian oil ceiling as Moscow exports above the cap. So this is another one from Kyle. After nine months of a Western-imposed price ceiling on Russian oil exports, the Kremlin has developed a slate of countries willing to import energy from Moscow um, above the cap. So in December, the U.S. and the G7 announced that any firms or countries buying oil for over $60 per barrel would face economic penalties. So actually, the the price cap, uh, the way that they wanted to do it was to deny insurance for Russian oil shipments over this $60 per barrel cap. And so for a while, Russia has been selling its oil at a discount um, since, you know, in response to the Western sanctions, you know, it was looking for new markets and they found ones in, in India and elsewhere in Asia. So they were giving, selling it to them at a discount initially, but now they're selling uh, oil for much more than they were. And last month, Russia... Russian oil sold on the market for an average of $74 per barrel, which is well above the price cap. And it does not look like uh, they are trying to really enforce this now. I mean, it, it kind of is unenforceable because if the countries that are buying it, you know, don't want to uh, participate in the price cap, you know, I guess the idea is for the insurance companies to cut off the insurance for the shipments, but uh, I, I just don't think that they're really going to try to enforce it, um, you know, for countries that haven't banned Russian oil that, that aren't part of the G7. Um, so it's just interesting to see what they're selling it at now, because for a while, I think it, they were selling it mostly under the price cap, but now well above it. Um, 
All right, so the next one here. China, Chinese and Philippine vessels have another standoff in the South China Sea. So this article is from Connor Freeman. China and the Philippines have engaged in another standoff near Second Thomas Shoal, which is a reef in South China Sea's disputed Spratly Islands. And this comes as Washington is building up its military presence in the Philippines and elsewhere in the region, eyeing a future war with Beijing. So... Um, there's been several incidents recently around Second Thomas Shoal, which I've been covering. Again, it's just it's a reef in the South China Sea that the U.S. seems very committed to for some reason. <laughs> and so, the, in this most recent incident, this was this past Friday, China's Coast Guard said in a statement that two Philippine supply ships and two Coast Guard vessels made an unapproved entry to Second Thomas Shoal, and they were resupplying the grounded warship that the Philippines has there, the BRP Sierra Madre, and that was grounded on the reef in 1999. And they use that kind of as an, a, base, a base of operations and to assert Philippines' claims to the reef. Um, so China says they were not happy that they made this unapproved entry. And then the Philippines said that they you know, were able to make the delivery to the ship despite what they said was harassment from the Chinese vessels. And this comes after uh, last week, as I covered, the U.S. and the Philippines held their first joint patrol in the South China Sea. And so that's, you know, concerning. It just raises the chance of an encounter between U.S. and Chinese vessels. And they say this is done to deter China, but there's no way China is going to see the U.S. You know, they're not going to back down because the U.S. is involved. If anything, it might make China... Um, you know, send more boats and ships to the region, and it's just going to create this new uh, potential flashpoint for a war between the U.S. and China. It's not really new, but it's just making it more dangerous because the U.S. has committed, if any of these Philippine boats come under attack, they say it applies to the U.S.-Philippine Mutual Defense Treaty, which means the U.S. will intervene directly uh, if China fires on Philippine vessels. So it's just not a good situation. Uh, All right, the next one here, the Pentagon is developing AI drone swarms to deter China. So this article is from Will Porter. And it says that the U.S. military is devising a new system designed to field thousands of drones controlled by artificial intelligence. Uh, And this uh, Deputy Pentagon Chief Kathleen Hicks said this last week voicing hopes that the tech would help to overcome Beijing's advantage in mass. So speaking at the yearly defense news conference in Arlington, Virginia, Hicks outlined the Pentagon's new replicator initiative, which aims to develop a fleet of low-cost AI-powered drones that will operate in swarms in the air, land, and sea. So this is definitely very concerning. Um, so this is similar. I, I went over a story like this recently. They, they've been talking about this, but Hicks kind of got into more detail here. And again, explicitly says that this is about China. This is about preparing for war with China. She said, quote, with replicator, we're beginning with all domain attributable autonomy or ADA2 to help us overcome the PRC's advantage in mass, more ships, more missiles, more forces, end quote. And that they they plan to deploy these drones at a scale of multiple thousands in multiple domains within the next 18 to 24 months. So they're trying to get this rolled out 
pretty quickly. And it, this really makes you think about, you know, a, bit, a war between two great powers, what it would be like, you know, this idea of just flying thousands and thousands of kind of small drones, you know, because we're seeing we're seeing in the Russia-Ukraine war how small, cheap drones are being used quite a bit. You know, dozens and dozens at a time are being launched. Now imagine thousands and thousands at a time. It's really uh, scary to think about. And there's all sorts of implications with the a war between the U.S. and China. If it doesn't go nuclear, all the new weapons technologies that they're going to be using, it's just not not good to think about. Uh, the last story in the news section here, Iran and the U.S. And the U.S. prisoner swap and funds release is imminent. So this is another article from Connor. So as the result of a deal made possible by at least eight rounds of shuttle diplomacy mediated by Doha, the U.S. and Iran may soon be conducting a prisoner swap. So this agreement will additionally see $6 billion in previously frozen funds belonging to Iran transferred to banks in Qatar, where that money will be spent on food and medicine. And this is according to a report from Reuters, and they cited eight Iranian sources and sources from other countries as well. So this is kind of a long time coming. Um, I went over at the beginning of August, Iran released four American citizens from prison into house arrest at a hotel. So they're, they're taken out of prison, and they're supposed to be swapped for Iranians that are being held in the U.S., over allegations of sanctions violations. And as part of the deal, Iran is also going to get access to this these billions in frozen funds that are in South Korea. They've been after for a long time. It's their money. And the U.S. is saying that they're going to have limited access uh, to these funds. The Iranians, other officials have said that they are getting direct access. But this new report is saying that it's going to be limited access, again, for things like food and medicine to pay for. So, of course, lots of Iran hawks are not happy about this. You know, they're not happy about any kind of deals between the U.S. and Iran. Uh, But we'll see if this actually happens. It sounds like this is saying it's imminent. So we might see it. And hopefully this this brings leaves room for more diplomacy between the U.S. and Iran. So things can cool down. There's been all these tensions, you know, since the U.S. seized an oil tanker. And stole a shipment of Iranian oil. Uh, But that is it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Ted Galen Carpenter. Will Ukraine's Western apologists finally admit the truth? One from Daniel Larison. Hawks want Biden to take the fight with Russia global. One from Bradley Devlin. Rand Paul out to repeal out to repeal 2001 AUMF and end U.S. interventionist regime. One from Jacob Hornberger, a pox on many houses in Ukraine. And one from William Hartung, Wall Street Journal, love letter to the arms industry. Um, So that's everything. Again, I just want to thank everybody for all the support and, uh, you know, congratulations and all that. Um, You could always help the show out by sharing it on social media, telling your friends about antiwar.com. Follow us on Twitter, all that stuff. But I'll be back tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.